All right, open your Bibles to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. If you don't have a traditional Bible, but you want to use one while you're in here, just raise your hand. One of these beautiful people will bring you one. You can either borrow that or you can keep it. It's our gift to you. Or you can take your smart device and you can open up the version or the Bible app and all the notes and scriptures. Everything except for pictures or videos have already been uploaded in there. If you're watching us live online or at one of our services at the Brown County Correctional Facility, love you guys. So glad that you're a part of our family. So excited for these new sites to start all over the place, giving an opportunity for you to bring your friends so that they can get to meet Jesus. But super glad that you're here on this Packers Beat the Bears Sunday. Woohoo! Hell called it. I'm just saying, but it was an easy one to call. That's, that's all. <laughs> So anyway, uh, for being, uh, <laughs> two weeks ago, we started a series of messages where we're going to take a number of weeks and we're going to talk about the book of James, taking almost two months to talk about a book that you can literally read in uh, 15 minutes. And so we took the first two weeks talking just about chapter one. In the first week, I talked about trials and temptations. Last week, I talked about listening and doing. Today, I want to look at chapter two, and I'm actually going to jump down and start with verse 14, but I'm not going to like ignore the first 13 verses in chapter two. And so this past week, I wrote a blog and we posted it online. It was a blog about the first 13 verses. It's called Favoritism. And you can go to this site and you can read it. I think it's going to take you about five minutes, but I can tell you it's rich. There is a lot of content inside that. But I did that so today I could focus uh, for a little bit longer on verses 14 through 26 in a message we're calling Faith and works. Let's pray. God, we love you. We're grateful to you. We're so honored to be in your presence. God, sometimes we forget the, the magnitude of that, the magnificence of that, the honor of being able to stand inside of your presence. And so today, I pray that your presence would come alive inside of us, that your Holy Spirit would be activated inside of us, that it doesn't it doesn't need to visit us. It needs to be awakened in us. And so today I pray that that would be activated so that our hearts and our minds would be changed and we would be less like us and more like you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I love GPS. GPS, for those of you who don't know what that is, it's the Global Positioning Service. It's the navigation in your car or on your phone. I love GPS. I'm addicted to GPS, and I am addicted to GPS because I am directionally challenged. I could have been a place a hundred times, and I get filled with fear when I have to go there without my GPS. We could be going somewhere, and I could be with Pastor Sunny, and, I, and she'll say, I know where I'm going, and there's just something about my friend Garmin that I just trust more than my lady Sunny. I just, I feel, I just, I feel, I feel comforted in that I am addicted to GPS because I hate not knowing where I am, and I hate not knowing where I'm going. And I believe that GPS was God's great gift to men. <laughs> because now we don't ever have to stop and ask anybody 
four directions. <laughs> Have you ever been lost and, and you blamed your navigation or your GPS when in truth it was you that put the wrong destination in the GPS or the navigation? A couple years ago that happened to me. I was doing a, a wedding in Marinette, Wisconsin, and I left my hotel early, gave myself an extra 15 minutes of margin because I hate being late as much as I love GPS. I just, I just have a personal feeling that whether you're on time or not says a lot about the level of your integrity. And so I put the address into my GPS, 2235 Shore Drive, Marinette, Wisconsin. And I confidently followed the friendly voice, which incidentally is a man's voice because there's only two women I want telling me what to do, and that's my wife and my mama. And so he is, a, a, well, that my voice is a man, and by the way, he's British. He's British because it makes me feel fancy. That's all I'm saying. And so the pleasant British voice said, please turn in 200 feet, and so I did. And would you believe it? This little British snob took me to the wrong place. He took me to somebody's house. I just got there and I, huh, I don't think that the wedding is in the middle of a neighborhood. And so I, I pulled out the invitation from my bag. And the address on the invitation turned out to not be 2235 Shore Drive. It turned out to be N2235 Shore Drive. He hadn't taken me to the wrong place. I had taken me to the wrong place because I put the wrong destination into my navigation. It was user error. Have you ever been lost, though, and been too stubborn to use your GPS. Have you ever, you ever been somewhere and you're with your lady and you don't want to admit that you're, this is a guy thing, FYI. No offense, guys, but I am one. And so sometimes we just, we just want to feel like we have our mind wrapped around a situation. And so we, we can get somewhere and be lost and act like we're not lost, act like we know where we're going. You're trying to get to Nordstrom, but somehow you ended up in a warehouse district in the south side of Chicago and your wife was like, this doesn't look like we're they would have a Nordstrom. And you're like, hey, let's, I've been here a million times. I know exactly where I'm going. We just turn left here and up here. Should we stop and ask, babe, I'm a man. I don't need to ask no another man how I can get to know. And so you lost and you're too arrogant to put it in uh, your GPS. This book was meant to be the GPS of our life. And sometimes we are too proud to put ourselves into this positioning system that God preordained to direct our lives, to guide our lives. Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. The 37th Psalm says that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. The book of James, that is a book that is designed to help us order our steps, to reorder our lives. And sometimes the map is wrong, sometimes the input is wrong, but sometimes it's user error. So today we're going to look at James chapter 2, verse 14 through 26. And the reason that we're doing that is because everyone in this room has faith. Whether you're a Christian, a Muslim, a Buddhist, a mystic, a spiritualist, an undecided, uh, uh, an unwelcomed, uh, whatever that may be, everyone in this room has faith. Because faith is a belief in something that has a corresponding action associated with it. Faith is not just a belief in something. 
there has to be a corresponding action associated in it. And we all live in this every single day. For example, most of us got in our car this morning and we turned the key or we pushed the button and we had faith that our car was going to start. Now, for some of you, that was a 50-50 proposition. <laughs> I've been there. I've, I've been that guy who, who had, I call it uh, the faith car or uh, I call it the prayer car. You know what I'm talking about? Where you know if you got to get somewhere, you're going to have to wake up 30 minutes early. Remember when you sat there have your car run for a minute before you could drive it? You had to start it and you had to let it run. You had to put your foot on that accelerator. Because you knew if you took the foot off the accelerator, it was going to die. So you had to go out 30 minutes early. It's cold. Scrape the window. to Start the car. Let it run. Some of you, you knew going into it this morning when you left, you knew that the car was a faith option. You came out in Jesus' name. All right, Lord, it's you and I today. It's Sunday. You know I got to get to church. <laughs> you came out and you saw the car. You said, come on, baby. Anybody name their car, by the way? Come on, Bertha, let's go. Because if your car doesn't start, you doesn't have a good name. That's all I'm saying. You don't have a good name for the car. You give it a name that you go, mm, well, mm. And so, you know, you get in the car and Now, this is a sound when you know you're in trouble. Tick, 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 tick. When the car starts ticking, just leave. Just call Uber. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Some of you, you get in, and if your lady's with you, baby, just give it more gas. Baby! I've been owning this car 33 years. I've been owning this car longer than I knew you. I already didn't know. Come on, come on, baby. Come on, baby. And Jesus, and Jesus. Now, get out the car, lay hands on the hood, speak in tongues. You're not even filled with the Holy Spirit. But you'll speak in tongues. God, you know I got a meeting. So some of you, you got in the car today and you, you, know, you turned the key or if you're fancy, you pushed the button and you had faith that that car was gonna get you there. Some of us, you came in here when you sat down this morning, you had faith that your chair was gonna hold you and sustain you throughout this message. And so you had a corresponding action. You didn't even think about it. You came in and you sat down all day, every day, every one of us have faith that is accompanied by a corresponding action. And James is trying to help us understand that we can't simply have a belief in God, but we have to have a corresponding action that coincides with that belief, faith and works. It is this pairing that can change your marriage or your bad spending habits, that can change your addictions or your self-destructive behaviors. Those things require a robust faith, the kind of faith that is a key component to a successful Jesus journey. And the Bible gives us several examples that illustrate just how crucial faith is. This book says that the sinner is saved by faith. It tells us that a Jesus person must walk by faith, that it is impossible for us to please God without faith. And whatever we do apart from faith, this is crazy, is described as sin, which is pretty drastic. But those scriptures paint a very clear picture of the fact that faith is really important. And yet James comes along and he says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if a man claims to have faith, but he has no deeds? 
can such a faith save him? And that language isn't questioning your salvation. It's simply bringing into question whether or not that kind of faith is actually a faith that is complete. He's saying that there needs to be more to it. You cannot simply believe that there needs to be a partnership of faith and works. And so I want to talk about this for a few minutes today. And I wanted to give myself a longer period of time just to talk about this one idea today, because there's been this discussion, this, this debate, really, like theologians. This is, this is people who get paid to read the Bible and argue with each other. Theologians have had this lifelong debate between faith and works. But what James is saying is that the two of those have a symbiotic relationship. And that relationship reminds me of a bicycle. So I borrowed my son's bicycle today because this bike is so dope. Like when I was, man, I wish I would have had a bike like this when I was a kid. First of all, it's got mag wheels on it. Y'all ever seen some mag wheels on a bike? When I was a kid, we used to have the spoke wheels. Well, you, couldn't, you, couldn't, you couldn't have a bike like this, first of all, and make the motorcycle bike. You know the bike I'm talking about? The bike where you put the, the card with the clothespin? We didn't have clothespins anymore. The devil is a liar. We just take the little clothespin and put the card on it, and all of a sudden, you, you owned a Harley. You were like nine years old, but you, and you just knew, you knew the whole neighborhood was cringing when you walked down. And so this is my son's bicycle. He let me borrow this. And uh, the relationship reminds me, faith and works, of a bicycle. Remember when you were a kid and you learned how to ride a bike? Were you ever in your life more free than when you learned how to ride a bike? The bicycle for us. First of all, kids have changed. Kids are different than when we were kids. Uh, it used to be a punishment to make a kid come inside. Now it's a punishment to make a kid go outside. We just, I'm just saying, we used to wake up six o'clock in the morning in the summertime just so we could get outside because we knew we had a limited window of time within which we could cause trouble. We just knew there was only so much time to build a fort there was only so much time to build a ramp. We used to build stuff, break stuff, arms, legs, ramps, wood, other people's skull. Like, this, this is what you did when you were a kid. You threw rocks at each other. You hit each other with sticks. Kids don't know nothing about that anymore. Anyway, when I was a kid, the bike was the instrument of exploration. There was nothing you couldn't do and nowhere you couldn't go. You could go anywhere if you had a bike. Back when I was a kid, my parents didn't care if I left the state on my bike. <laughs> Long as I was home by the time streetlights came on. That was the only thing. You want to lose that bicycle freedom to see it go bye-bye? Be out past dark and just find out. First of all, the bike would be gone. Second of all, your booty would not be able to get on that seat anymore. Anyway, I love you, mama. If you ever have taken a journey on a bike, though, you realize that there are three potential tragedies for a bike journey. Number one, you could get your flat tire. In this scenario you have two choices. You can either push your bike back home or ditch it and find another bike. That's all. You get a flat tire. The second tragedy is that your chain could come off. And in this scenario, everybody becomes a mechanic. Every kid becomes a bicycle mechanic. You flip the bike over, you spin the pedals, you catch the teeth, you put it back, you proceed. Here's the third one though. You could lose or break a pedal. And if you lost or broke a pedal, this was a game changer because it seems like the bike should still work with just one pedal, but it doesn't. Everyone thinks they can still ride a bike one-footed, but they're unbalanced. 
You cannot ride, you all think you could ride a bike one-footed, but you can't. This is a guy riding a bike one-footed. <laughs> you're, trying to catch, you're trying to catch the pedal when it comes back around. Mess around and kick it the wrong way and see if you don't bust your shin up. And you got to put the other leg like this. Because the other leg is like this, and if you don't get it out the way, then the other thing's going to hit your leg. Everybody thinks that they can ride their bike one-footed, but they can't. They're unbalanced. The bicycle was never meant to be ridden with one pedal. And that's how God designed us, to live our life with two pedals, faith and works. And so James describes three lifestyles of faith, three different expressions of what faith can look like and the results of those expressions. Two are negative, one is positive. So let's talk about that just for a minute, because 2 Corinthians says that we should examine ourselves to see whether we are in faith. We should test ourselves. Don't you realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you have failed the test? So this is like a pop quiz, and this pop quiz is meant to get us ready for the exam. And so we're going to examine ourselves today, and we're going to find out where we are, because some of us are frustrated and we don't know why. So hopefully, today we're gonna to find some answers, and here's an important truth for us to keep in our mind as we kinda of go through these examinations. God is not looking to fail you. God is not trying to make it impossible for you to pass the test. He's doing everything possible to make it simple for us to engage in his plan. Now, it won't always be easy, but it will always be simple if we'll just put in the work we'll be able to realize the potential for our lives. So in these scriptures, James is going to give us three lifestyles of faith. Here's the first, and it is faith that is dead. He says, in the same way, faith by itself, it is, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead, which is pretty dramatic. But it's important for us to remember that James is a pastor. James is writing this as the leader like of a local group of Jesus people. He, he's writing to his people, to, to believers. He, and, and so he says, my brothers and sisters. And so to them, he's saying, I've been watching your lives and I know that you have faith, but I also know that that faith is dead. A great church father, John Calvin, said it like this. He said, it's not faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies is never alone. It means the faith we have is the thing that justifies us with God. It's the thing that makes us right with him. But at some point, the faith of God in us must begin to produce change from us because faith without authenticating action is empty. And for too many people who have been on this journey for a good while, it tends to be lip service, but not lifestyle. For some people, it's something we talk about, but it's not something we act on. Like myself, at my core, Believe it or not, I am a hopeless romantic. I, I am a chick flick guy. I am famously known as a guy who loves the movie The Notebook. And if you watch The Notebook and you do not cry when you watch The Notebook, you have no heart is all I'm saying. I watch them and go, he's old. He's so old. <laughs> like I just, oh, I cry every time. Did you know Netflix is trying to bring out The Notebook? With an alternate ending, the devil is a liar. There's two movies that should not never be changed, The Notebook and Empire Strikes Back. I'm just saying, there's just some movies that they're classics. So I am, I am a hopeless romantic. The problem is I don't express it very often. 
About once a year, I write Sonny a really sappy card. I mean, like I'm all in on it. I pick the card, right? And I underline certain words what that Hallmark wrote. And I underline those. I circle some of them. I write all the words. I draw pictures on it, put little sprinkles on it. I put draw pictures on the card. I mean, the whole thing. Every card Sonny's ever gotten from me doesn't even have her name on the envelope. It just has some sort of a picture of a sun on the front. I could color it in with markers. I mean, y'all, I'm all in. Once a year... I am all in on the, on the sappiness. But what I discovered is I need to, to like do a better job of, of living that daily. And James said, brothers, sisters, suppose one of you is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? And a lot of us, we've let our faith become, go in peace, be blessed in Jesus' name, be fed, be warm, good luck, see you later. Some of us have lip service, but not lifestyle. Others of us have leaves, but no fruit. These are, like, these are the people who have all the trappings. Like people who, who, when they come to church, they know how to walk. They know how to talk. They know how and when to raise their hands. They know like how and when to squint at just the right moment in the song. Mm. Like, the, like, this, like, like that one note hits, the bass line hits, and like, mm. In Jesus' name. There's nothing spiritual about it. You just think the song is dope, but you just look like you're like super spiritual. But you, you send out tweets of the message in the message. You tag the church. You, you tag me. But it doesn't mean you have anything going on inside of you. Some of you, you do all that stuff and nothing's happening in your heart. You don't give. You don't serve. You won't come up for prayer. Talk about leaves, but no fruit. And Jesus talks about that. He says, a good tree bears good fruit. James, in this book, warns us three times that faith without work is dead. And so a lot of us think that our morality or our religion will save us, but they won't. A lot of us think our tradition or our spirituality will save us, but, but they won't because that lifestyle of faith is a faith that is dead. Here's a second lifestyle of faith, and it's even tougher to hear, believe it or not. He says there is a faith that is deceived. And James goes so dramatic. He, he says, you believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. And he, he's saying, like, I've watched your beliefs, and you believe that there's a God, good, good for you. Even the demons believe in God. They just don't believe in God. They recognize the power of who God is, but they have no inner desire to do anything other than be who they are. And James looks at these people and ultimately us, and he insinuates that from where he's sitting, that looks pretty familiar. He compares people who have that kind of faith to demons. And so he get, there's three signs of a faith that is deceived. First, there is knowledge with no change. You have an awareness of who God is, but there's no impetus inside of your life for you to change. Here's the second sign of a faith that's deceived is no love for Jesus. If you are a believer, but you're not in love with Jesus, I don't think you're a Jesus person. I think you just believe in something that could be, but that isn't. Jesus did not die on the cross just to forgive our sins. He did die on the cross to forgive our sins, but he also died on the cross so we could be in a relationship with him. The cross was an act of sacrifice and an act of love. It was a rescue mission. It was a love 
letter to us. Like there is a difference between obedience and love. Some of you obey God, but I wonder if you love him. Like my wife needs to know every single day that I love her. It wasn't enough for me to look at her on February 10th, 1996 and tell her, baby, I love you. And if anything changes, I'll let you know. Like she has to know every day. I have to speak it and show it every day. She needs to know that she is it for me. Like, like without her, it is a wrap. I already told her, if God takes you before me, I'm not never. There's nobody in my world, nobody can fill your shoes. Not while you're alive, not while you're gone. You are the first, as Barry White said, the last and the everything. And some of us need to say the same thing to Jesus. We need to tell Jesus that you are it for me, that I am all in on this thing. You are my first, my last, my everything. Like, do you, I'm not talking about, are you obedient? I'm not talking about, do you come to church? Talking about take communion. I'm not asking, did you take growth track? I'm not asking, did you serve at some place in here? I'm not talking about, are you religious? I'm asking you, do you love Jesus? And if you do, you have to speak it and you have to show it every single day. It'll help your faith and it'll bring it alive. Here's a third sign of a faith that's deceived. It is rebellion with no repentance. This is someone who just throws it in the face of God, who says, you know, I, I know what I'm doing is wrong, but skip you, God. I love her. I, I, you know, she's the one for me, or, or he's the one for me. You, you know you're convicted. You feel bad about it. You know God's telling you not, but you're just like, you know what, God, I'm, I'm more committed to them than I am to you. That, that kind of faith is both dead and deceived. And so James gives us three lifestyles of faith. He says it's a faith that's dead, a faith that's deceived, and here's the third, and this is the most important, a faith that is dynamic, a faith that is living, that's breathing, that's active, that's moving, a faith that is real. And Hebrews chapter 11 talks about these kind of people, people who had a dynamic faith. And some theologians call this chapter God's Hall of Fame because it lists a bunch of people and what their faith was like. Then in verse 36, it says, some of those people faced jeers and flogging, chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. And it says that the world was not worthy of them because they had dynamic faith. Faith is not believing in spite of evidence. It's believing in spite of consequence. It is faith and works. And so James says in the same way, Faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by what I do. And there has to be a merger. Church father Char Charles Spurgeon said, the faith, the grace that does not change my life will not change my soul. Something has to happen on the inside that in spite of the consequences, in spite of the cost, we have to have a faith that is dynamic. And so let me leave you with three steps to dynamic faith. Here's the first. Dynamic faith steps out. And it's scary. And it's unclear. But you know that God has asked you to do something, so you step out in faith. James says, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar, you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete 
by what he did. His faith was made complete when he stepped out. And I wonder, where has God asked you to step out? Do you need to serve in kids? Do you need to lead a life group? Do you need to go back to school and get your degree? Do you need to start a business, write a book, forgive a person? Do you need to tithe? Like dynamic faith steps out. Here's the second is dynamic faith speaks out. And I love how James uses the example of a woman like she, like she should have been disqualified, but she wasn't. Watch this. He says, in the same way, wasn't even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? Now, real quick, this is from Joshua chapter one. And in Joshua chapter one, Moses has died. His assistant Joshua is installed as leader and God tells him, now, now you're gonna take the people into the promised land. So in chapter two of Joshua, he sends two spies into the enemy territory to check it out, and they're hidden in the house of Rahab the prostitute. Now, in that culture, a prostitute was someone who sold their body. Hello? Some things don't change. We think she should have been disqualified. But look at Joshua 2.9. This is Rahab. I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us. She spoke out and she revealed and recognized the plan of God. And today, some of you need to speak out and recognize the plan of God for your life. Jesus said, I have come so that you could have life and life to the fullest. So some of you need to speak that life. You need to speak life over yourselves and say, I am a good husband. I am a good wife. I am patient. I am kind. I am peaceful. You need to say, like, things are gonna get better. They're not gonna get worse. You need to speak life over yourself. And then you need to speak life over someone else. And tell them you love them. Tell them you appreciate them. You trust them. You believe in them. You forgive them dynamic faith that speaks out because when God does something in us, he also wants to do something through us. Here's the third step of dynamic faith is dynamic faith works out. It puts a plan in place, a process in place. What's your plan for building your faith? What's your process? There has to be a process of sticking it out because sometimes you just have to be committed. It's not enough to just step out. It's not enough to just speak out. Sometimes you're going to have to stick it out. You're going to have to work it out because I don't know if you've experienced this, yes, but, but, but this is not easy. It is hard work. It is hard work to be a good spouse or a good parent. It is hard work to be a good boss or a good employee, uh, a good friend. It's hard work to be a Jesus person because it goes against everything that our flesh wants. And so sometimes it requires heavy lifting. And so James said, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith is dead without works. The apostle Paul said, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation. With fear and trembling, I love how that verse reads in the message paraphrase. It says, what I'm getting at, friends, is that you should simply keep on doing what you've done from the beginning. When I was living among you, you lived in responsive obedience. Now that I'm separated from you, keep it up. Better yet, double your efforts. Be energetic in your life of salvation. Be reverent. Be sensitive before God. And I love those two words, responsive obedience. That's what our faith is supposed to be. Faith and works. A responsive obedience to what God has asked us to do. And I wonder if you're living in that today. Because if you're not, you absolutely can be before you leave here today. Your faith today, right now, it might be dead. 
but in Jesus and only Jesus, your faith can come alive. Would you close your eyes all across this place? Faith can come alive. You, you have faith, all of you, everyone in here, you have faith. The question is, what do you have faith in? This morning, I'm going to give you opportunity to respond to that voice that's been talking to you. We all have this voice that's talking to us. Some people call it their conscience. And for some of you, there's been things going on in you and, and to you, and your conscience has been speaking to you. But really what that was has been Jesus calling you. So this morning, I'm going to give you opportunity to respond to that calling. That calling results in something the church calls salvation. Salvation, it's just a, just a rescuing. Today, you need to be rescued from your sin, your shame, yourself. So this morning, the way that we do that is by responding to two things and doing confession and profession. Confession is you admitting that you're a sinner. You're lost. Profession is admitting that Jesus can save you. He can pull you back in. So today, I wonder if you're here and you say, Sean, I need to do those two things. I need to confess and profess. And I want to receive Jesus as my Lord, which means he's in charge, and my Savior, which means you acknowledge that he and he alone can rescue you. So this morning, if you're in here and you say, Sean, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior, we're going to give you opportunity to confess and profess. And here's how. In just a minute, with nobody looking around, I'm going to ask for people to raise their hand and make eye contact with me. Once you've made eye contact with me, you can put your hand down. That's your way of confessing that you are a sinner, you are lost, and you need to be forgiven. Then I'm going to ask everybody in here to repeat the same prayer after me. When you repeat that prayer after me and you mean it in your heart, that is your profession that you believe that Jesus can save you. And so this morning, if you say, Sean, I need to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior with nobody looking around, would you raise your hand and make eye contact with me right now? Thank you. Thank you, 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 thanks, 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 thank you, 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 thanks, thanks. Did I miss anybody? Thanks. Thanks. Okay, I'm gonna ask everybody in here, say these words after me. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, but I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Come into my life, change me. Make me different. Make me new. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Friend, if you prayed that prayer and you believed it in your heart, Scripture says that you are now saved. You're rescued. You begin a journey away from who you are toward who God wants you to be. We call that your Jesus journey. And we want to be a part of that trip with you. So if you can help us with that, just take that hello card that I talked about earlier, tear off the bottom part, fill it out, check the box that's highlighted in yellow says, I'm choosing to follow Jesus. You can either put that in the black bucket so they come around here in a minute or take them out to the Welcome Center. If you're online, just message our online team that you want to receive Jesus and we'll get the opportunity to respond back to you. But if you, pr if you prayed that prayer and you're here in this building at our Welcome Center, we have a little packet for you. In that packet, there's a three-month devotional that uh, it's got a scripture reading for every day and then just a real brief uh, little thought, a little scriptural thought. And so we want you to have that. Also on the inside of that, there's a CD that says, What Now? It's a 12-minute presentation that I have uh, pre-recorded that talks about the things that are important for you to do next. And so we would love for you to have one of those. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes one more time. Don't leave. We're not finished yet. Pastor Sonny's going to close this out here in just a second. But I wonder if you're here and you're a Jesus person, like you're, like you're saved. You know that if you died today, 
you're going to go to heaven. Uh, but, but you have a faith that you know hasn't been, it's not been dynamic. And you need to have a more dynamic faith. If that's you, you want me to pray for you. Would you just raise your hand today so that I can do that? Yep, yep. God, thank you for so many people in here who are hungry to have a dynamic faith. A faith that is filled with and by you. And so today, God, I pray that you breathe that on them. Fill us with that. In Jesus' name, amen.